Namaste and good evening to all of you. Let us now continue our study of the actions of sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. I am nearing the end of chapter 12 from this Gospel and we were stopping last week, the last satsang, when Jesus is describing his own position as not at all a matter of what people understand as peace. Spirituality speaks about peace. Om Shanti 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 and uh, the salutations, the Jewish salutation and other salutations in that area was peace be upon you, the Shalom and all the other salutations from even the later Muslim salutations, Salam Aleikum and so on. It's about peace and uh, today this peace is falsely preached, propagated as being peace that you have to stay quiet and resort to diplomacy and go slowly and not upset the status quo and all that. That's completely not true. The peace which Jesus is talking about is the peace in the heart. Is that in the middle of sword fight of a samurai or in the middle of a karate do or aikido match of a martial artist, he or she is perfectly at peace. That means outside in the manifestation there can be struggle, there can be battle. Krishna can preach a sort of a holy war, a jihad, and still nobody can say that Krishna was not at peace, that Krishna had lost his peace because he was in the middle of the Mahabharata war, of the Mahabharata conflict. Therefore, the peace which is mentioned in spirituality, that peace be upon you, and find the appeasement of the mind and all that, it, ref it speaks about an internal state of consciousness. Ultimately, we can say that the state of Samadhi, and especially the state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, is the ultimate peace, because it's the stopping of the movements of the mind. It is the void. It is Chitavriti Niroda, as expressed by Patanjali. Therefore, there we are talking about a peace. But the life of a Tibetan Lama, the life of Buddha, the life of Krishna, the life of Rumi and the life of Ramakrishna can be like fire. It can be like full of action, especially when that spiritual person has the Dharma to change the world or to produce some major mutation in the world or in the collective consciousness. And Jesus is definitely one of these types. And he says, no, you are misunderstanding. Ultimately, in a world which is corrupt, and Jesus considered that his world was very corrupt, he could not find spirituality in the Egyptians, which had been proven wrong and rotten spiritually a thousand years ago already by Moses, 
So the Egyptians were down. All the Gentile cultures around Israel, they were considered by the Jews to be inferior because they were not even monotheistic. The Jewish culture had become egocentric and with a very terrible Manipura, with a very impure Manipura, with a very demonic and dirty type of Manipura. The Greeks were already, who had a big cultural influence in the Eastern Mediterranean, the Greeks were perceived as a decadent, dying culture even 2,000 years ago. The Romans were a culture in which Tiberius was a mentally disturbed emperor and he was followed by his assassin Caligula who was a complete nutcase, a complete mental case. And then the history of the Roman Empire continues with Messalina, Nero, and the whole bunch of schizophrenics and severely demonic and satanic mental nutcases. No? And therefore the Romans were wrong, the Greeks were wrong, the Jews themselves were rotten, the Gentiles around, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and so many others, they were rotten. Where was some good place that Jesus could say, let's go to this country and behave like them and be like them and that is the kingdom of God on earth? No. And therefore in such a condition, Jesus says, what I want is a revolution. I want change. I don't want peace on earth. Peace To make peace on earth when the ruler is a demon, that means that you put up with that demon. It means you are condoning it. No? Oh, but we wanted peace. The leader was uh, Adolf Hitler or Genghis Khan or God knows who, and we said better peace than conflict. It's not true. Better than be like Robin Hood. Robin Hood is much closer to God than somebody who acquiesces, who puts up with the shenanigans, with the misery, with the darkness of the rulers of his time. Therefore, revolution is a spiritual attitude and it does not contain uh, peace in it. Of course, if the king of the world explicitly would be Jesus, then to make a revolution against that, that would be Satanism. That would be demonic. But as long as the ruler is not Jesus or the Dalai Lama or Mahatma Gandhi or something spiritual, someone spiritual, then there can be no peace on earth. When the ruler is a Satanist, like so many rulers of today are, then the correct attitude is a revolution, not peace on earth. Stop paying taxes, do civil disobedience like Mahatma Gandhi advised and Martin Luther King and so many other modern peaceful revolutionaries. It doesn't mean that you have to do violence, but definitely you have to create disobedience. And that disobedience will bring challenges, provocations, and it will not be peaceful. It has never been peaceful. Even with Mahatma Gandhi 
preaching a non-violent revolution for the freedom of India, there have been thousands of people still killed by the British as a provocation. Of course, there could have been millions if people would not have followed the path of Gandhi. But still, some turmoil was there. And that's why Jesus is bringing exactly this view. Like, stop this flabby attitude that, oh, but we wanted more than everything, peace. Peace, when the, did, when the devil is in charge, it means condoning the devil and supporting the devil. There cannot be peace when the devil is running the show. That Then if you have peace, it means you are approving of what is happening. And thus, Jesus is telling very clearly, we are in a corrupt area of the history of the world. I came here because there was a cry of despair, exactly as Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says, Every time when the Dharma, the righteousness, goes down, and every time when the demonic darkness goes up, then I reincarnate again in this world for the support of the planet, for the support of humanity, for the support of the world. That's exactly how Jesus is. Jesus is coming down, not because things are going brilliantly, but on the contrary, because things are going horribly bad. And then he is sent like a sort of a radical cure. And this radical cure is almost like a violent cure. Like in three years, I have to heal the world. Then it cannot be slowly, slowly, patiently. There is no patience to it. So Jesus is not at all patient because he knows he can do it and then why prolong? Why prolong the things? Some of us in spirituality we do not have a clear perception of our own spiritual power and therefore we don't know or we know that we cannot go very fast because we are not having the stamina of one like Jesus. We do not have the clarity, the aspiration of one like Jesus. So we are walking forward, we are stepping forward in a more hesitant way, in a more hesitating way. Like, you know, if I push too hard, maybe I will die the die of martyrdom. But am I prepared to die the death of martyrdom? No, maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe I'm a chicken at heart. And then the conclusion is obvious. I cannot press as hard as Jesus did because Jesus was having an absolute faith and he knew that his spiritual power could sustain him in what he was doing. Other people say, I cannot run. I'm having problems with my lungs. If I try to run in a hundred meters, I will start coughing and spitting my lungs on the pavement. And therefore, I will do my duty, not running, but walking, because I am incapable to run. One like Jesus 
may be running, but not everybody can be running, and not everybody can be running at the same speed. <clears throat> Jesus is a runner. He says, I have a baptism to undergo. His baptism is a metaphor. It means crucifixion. I have to become the Christ. I have to give my blood and my life for humanity and become Jesus the Christ. I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Like Jesus is afraid that he will be crucified and he says, Father, take this cup away from me if possible. But at the other hand, he is also saying how distressed I am until it is completed. Like I can't wait to get there and do that. Try to think for a second that Jesus is just a very high spirit, a sort of a Shankaracharya, a great spirit from the great spirits that have produced great changes in the spirituality of the world, or at least of the country where they were born. Many of these spirits, they came, and when they came, they came from a high world. That They came from a loka from a sphere of the universe which was very high. Maybe they came from Hiranya Loka. Maybe they came from even higher places than Hiranya Loka, like before they were born. Maybe they came from Shambhala. And then they were born on earth. And then all this life which so many human beings extol, like, oh, it's so beautiful to be alive, and nature is so beautiful, and all that, all these people have said, bullshit. It sucks. It's terrible. It's a prison. It's a limitation. It's a pain. It's a waste of time. And that's why these people, such high spirits, they have a completely reversed perspective on things. They don't consider that to be here is a gift or an offer. On the contrary, they consider that to be here is like a punishment. It's like a chore. It's like a duty. And if you can do it in half the time, then you should. You should get over it as quick as possible and get out of here. Because out of here is not so bad. At least not for them who know where they come from and they know where they go back when they go. And that's why for such people the perspective is the other way around. Certain nations of the world, in Kali Yuga even, they still inherited this from their ancestors from the Satya Yuga or from other times. Like for example, the Vikings believed that if you die well, then you go to Valhalla. And therefore they tried to die well all the time. The Vikings were not afraid of death. <coughs> they were afraid of a bad death, of an unworthy death. But a good death was the guarantee that you are going to heaven. The same thing with the Thracians, the people who lived in the place where my country is today. Our ancestors had the same thing. When people died, they celebrated and they partied and they laughed. 
because they said this one has gone to the gods. And when children were born, they were weeping and mourning because they said another soul has come <coughs> to pay their karma, to suffer in this miserable and limited world. They felt compassion for the souls who were incarnated in this world and they felt relief for the people who left from this world. And you can see that for Jesus, it's the same thing. He wants to get it over with, get it done, and that's it. If a high spirit like Shankaracharya can feel that life on earth is a prison and is a misery and a limitation and a darkness, can you imagine what Krishna feels about it? Can you imagine what Jesus feels about it? Yes, the tantric metaphysics teaches us that samsara is nirvana and nirvana is samsara, but then why is everybody going to nirvana? If samsara is good enough. Because all these tantric statements that samsara is nirvana and nirvana is samsara, and that uh, the kingdom of God is here, and everything is God and all that, these are very beautiful when the hippies repeat them without feeling them or understanding them properly. But in actual fact, when you put a finger on the table and hit it with a hammer, it's the same as nirvana. And still everybody is running away from that experience. Even enlightened being, you cannot ask Sri Aurobindo or Swami Shivananda or anybody else, Shankaracharya himself, to punish their body and to give themselves pain just because it's the same anyway. It's the same metaphysically speaking and in a high tantric Kashmiri Shaivistic understanding it's the same and still everybody is chasing for the pleasant experiences and everybody is avoiding the unpleasant experiences. Comparatively, if you compare life in Hiranyaloka or in Shambhala with life on earth, even when you have a good healthy body and you are born in a comfortable place, still the life on earth is like you broke your finger with a hammer and life in those high levels is like paradise. And thus, as much as we want to preach weird tantric doctrines, which again, they are true in an absolute way, nevertheless, the human being, as long as it is in a body with 46 chromosomes, born on a Svadhisthana Chakra planet in this galaxy, the planet Earth, so a relatively low world with a low type of body, which cannot accomplish everything so easily, then automatically the human beings will be conditioned by the limitations of this world. And that's why you can see that Jesus is the same. He wants a revolution. He wants ferment. He wants to get over it quickly. He says, I am distressed until my mission is complete. And he says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. As soon as Tao, in Taoism, divides in the yin and the yang, 
the yin and the yang start boiling with each other, electron and proton, plus and minus, masculine and feminine, everything which is conditioned by the yin and yang, even the binary code in the computer, you see me now on internet and you know it's all a series of zeros and ones and nothing else, and therefore zero and one, plus and minus, they are just dancing with each other, creating the whole illusion, the whole manifestation. Therefore, Jesus wants this division. He wants the wheel of samsara to spin faster. It's like people say, oh my God, I've got enough samsara. And Jesus is kicking the wheel and says, go at ten times the speed. And then you say, Jesus, Jesus, I cannot, I'm afraid, it hurts, it's too much, the roller coaster is too violent, it's too, and Jesus says, it doesn't matter, you will be finishing it faster. For him, this is more important than the fact that temporarily, you say, oh, maybe the evolution is going too fast for me. Jesus wants evolution rather than procrastination. And that's why he wants like you put yeast in a dough. No, he wants the thing to fermentate. He wants fermentation. He wants this conflict that the good ones should be separated from the bad ones. That the whey and the cheese should be separated in the milk. That there should be a cutting, the upper part and the lower part. The good part and the bad part. Like he's in a hurry. And he says, there is no, not much time left. And I want to make the final selection. It's exactly like you are having a job to do. And you say, time is short. Now speed it up, speed it up, speed it up. Because the deadline is coming close. So Jesus almost feels like there is a deadline. And he is warning, his legendary warning. That son will go against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother and everything. Which means people in their own family will be split. Even the family connections are not strong enough. If in a family one member of the family is a spirit of light and he or she intuitively is attracted by spirituality and by Jesus... They make efforts to go up, and the other members of their own family, being darker spirits, more demonic spirits, more materialistic or more egoistic, they choose the darkness, and they don't understand how their own brother or sister or child or grandchild or mother or father, how they are doing what they are doing, converting to a spirituality, doing a lot of yoga, doing this, doing that, and the other people in the same family, in the same group of friends, they are irritated by it, and they are provoked by it, and they can go against those. I met cases of people who are doing spirituality, and the members of their own family wanted to put them in a mental institution. They wanted to declare them unfit mentally and to get them under medication, which medication would destroy their brain and their well-being completely. It would be an almost irreversible process. And these people, they were so rabid that their relative 
should be stopped. All, this is the demonic, the darkness thing. So Jesus wants this fermentation. Let the higher ones go higher, let the lower ones stay low, and let's get over with it. He's almost like he has to meet a deadline. And that is subjectively, because like, you know, I don't want to be around here forever. For him, life on earth is not perfection, is not perfect. And at the same time, it's like, you know, let's speed the evolution up, even if the process is more challenging. So he's telling them, I came to bring fire. I came here to stop that people... Try to think, before Jesus, maybe for 300 years, people lived in a linear period of the Jewish spiritual history. Moses had been alive a thousand years ago. The people were living in Jerusalem. They had had King David. They had had King Solomon. They had had, you know, and now what had happened? You know, a prophet now and then emerged and did things which people understood and agreed on, or maybe not so much, but it was more or less linear. And Jesus says it's enough with this linear thing. Evolution is too slow. It's time to stoke some fire under this situation and to make it explode. Let's have it all explode, so at least we'll know which is the bright part and which is the dark part. Why? Because there needs to be a separation. People who know metaphysics will say, but uh, the people who are the dark part and who are not going to pass the exams and who are going to go to hell or whatever, aren't they also immortal spirits? Yes, they are. But they will reach their nirvana in a million years. And that's not happening in this cosmic cycle, in this yuga, right now. It's like, yeah, they will finish the school, but they will finish the school in 500,000 years. Jesus says, I'm not interested right now. And I'm interested in those who graduate in June. Now, in June, we have graduation day. So until June, I have to make very clear who is on and who is off. It doesn't mean that those who are off are lost forever. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, because they are not preaching openly the doctrine of reincarnation, because of that, they make it sometimes believe that if you are not being saved now, in this badge, you are going to be lost forever. And many saints have agreed with this policy because they said, although it might not be true, it is very motivating for people. Like you are going to squeeze the last milligram of aspiration simply because you are afraid that there is just one shot that you've got. And then you are trying your best. So as a pedagogical tool, as a white lie, it's a good white lie. Many mystics have considered that. But if we look at it through the prism of the universal metaphysics of this world, we can also say, well, the souls which did not fulfill the requirement of Jesus, 
and who will not graduate and who will be considered wrong or weeds, not wheat, not chosen ones, but losers, they are not losers absolutely and forever. They are losers for 25,000 years, which is bad enough, which is good enough, any way you want to put it. You know, like it's a pragmatical thing. Like, why not try to save your soul now? This thing that you say, yeah, but if not now, I will have another chance in the next Kali Yuga. You don't really know what you are talking about. No, because there is a lot of waiting, there's a lot of stagnation, there are a lot of other problems which come with it, and therefore it's not a comfortable choice. Postponing it is not the right choice. Osho Rajneesh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, he actually said that when you compare this belief in one life, one chance from Christianity and most of these Western mysticisms, and when you compare that with the Hindu, Jainistic, Buddhist belief that we have as many lifetimes as we need, we have as many incarnations as we need, he simply says, he himself, it's his opinion, he says, my opinion is that the Hindus and the Indians have become the most complacent and spiritually lazy people in the whole world because they always shrug their shoulders and they say, eh, what I cannot do in this life, I will do in the next one. That's not the correct attitude. Jesus doesn't want to hear that. Jesus wants you to, to see you giving 110% to catch this train now. It's a matter of pedagogics. But remember, Jesus knows the picture of existence in all the lokas of the universe. And he says, you are just a big fool. You are just a big ignorant that you shrug your shoulders and say, eh, you know, it could be good enough. Yeah, I kind of didn't make it. But Jesus says this, the thing that you didn't make it, relatively speaking to what could have been the other option, it's very bad. It's very bad. Don't take it too lightly. Because you can say, well, absolutely I didn't lose all chances. Yeah, absolutely you didn't lose all chances. But relatively, you've got a bitter thing coming to you. No? If you break your finger with a hammer, you cannot say that you are damaged forever. And No, you are not. But still you don't want to break your finger with a hammer. It's not, even if absolutely it doesn't mean complete and utter disaster. No, but even a smaller disaster can be painful, relatively speaking, and you want to avoid it. You don't want to go into it. And that's why Jesus wants people to be motivated. And then he continues by telling people. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain. Because in Israel, in the west, it's the Mediterranean, it's the sea, so it's clouds coming from the sea. And when the south wind blows, that's the desert from Arabia and Africa, and when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. And then, I don't know if the translation here is the best, 
Jesus used this word, but maybe not so much for these people. Maybe the translation is correct. I should check it with the King James Bible translation and others. He says hypocrites. He could also say fools. Now, maybe it's not hypocrisy. Maybe it's just superficiality. He says hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Like the present time then was the fact that they waited for the Messiah. They were ruled, crushed, dominated by the Romans. The Romans went so far that 70 years later they raised the temple of Solomon and they reduced Jerusalem to ruins because they were pissed off at some rebellion, at some military action which was done against the Roman Empire. And therefore, he says, how is it that you don't know to interpret the present time? In the present time, they were waiting for the Messiah. They were sad. The priests were hypocrites. The aristocrats, they were cooperating with the Romans and they were betraying the people. The whole thing was a misery. It was a misery. And in this misery, suddenly you have, you see a man, you get a man who is rising the dead from their tombs. You get a man who walks on water, who heals lepers and blind, and who speaks with an admirable clarity and confidence. And the man who is saying clearly, I I am God, I am the Son of God, I am the Messiah. Like Jesus says, what more do you need? Like when you see a cloud and you see what is coming and you know, when you see a wind and you know what is coming, are you stupid or like, what does this look like to you? What's happening right now? What does it look like? Because what it was looking like, it was looking like the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies. It was looking like the time had come. The time had come. But we see people either caught in the ignorance of Svadhisthana, in their own desires, dreams, imagination, being like completely confused, and some people going to Manipura and they are practicing tyranny, domination, aggressivity, war, bloodshed, and all the misery which was on this planet. No? And Jesus, the Messiah, he is coming with a solution on Anahata. Try to imagine what would have been if the whole Jewish nation, starting with the king and the high priest, and finishing with the last beggar, they would have said, you are the Messiah. We will make the effort to love unconditionally, to forgive our enemies, to pray for those who harm us, to love, to pray, to go into the heart. And even the Romans, they are levying taxes on us. And you know what? We are going to get detached from all this money thing. Let them take 10% or 30% or 90% or whatever they take. Yes, we are not going to be very wealthy, but we can live in a certain modesty. 
No? Try to think how wealthy were people in those days. <coughs> and if you are wealthy, what could you own? What could you do with that money? Because all the money in the world could not give you electricity or antibiotics or cars and airplanes or anything. The degree of comfort of one who had a lot and one who didn't have much was relatively much smaller than today. Today, if you have lots and lots of money, the differences can be quite staggering. But in those days, the differences were smaller because the technology and the advancement of the world in technology was not that huge. So, basically, you can try to imagine what if everybody would have said, yes, we will approach life and everything else, the Roman Empire, everything around us, we will go to Anahata. Jesus is the Messiah and God gave us an exit from this world, from this misery of Svadistana and Manipura by going to Anahata. Some people would say, maybe the Jewish people would have suffered extinction. They would be dead like a dodo. There's an expert, the dodo is a bird from Africa, which was extinguished a hundred years ago and more. No? So there's the expression in English, dead as a dodo. No? Maybe the Jews would have become dead as a dodo, and their souls would be now on another planet, in another world, in Shambhala, or somewhere, where they would all be in Anahata because they followed the example of Jesus and they went to the heart. They were the ones to receive the Messiah and they were the ones to agree to follow the Messiah. And that's why he says, how is it that you cannot see the signs, you know? It's, you cannot see the signs because you don't want to see the signs. Because it, you think it's too difficult. Because it contradicts your self-comfort. Because it, it's like, ah, no, we can't just do that. That's what happened. A number of Jewish people became apostles and super high developed spiritually. And the number took refuge into revenge, anger, magic, and other such things staying on a level of Manipura and Svadhisthana, staying on the level of the same hell. So Jesus is telling them, if you would look carefully, you would see. In a certain way, that's what Anakhinava Gupta would say. You are Shiva. You are God. Don't ask me stupid things about what does God think about it, because you have the consciousness of God. God gave Adam the consciousness. You have the gift of consciousness. And therefore, according to your own conscience and consciousness, you know. You know. But people lie to themselves. People refuse to look. People refuse to acknowledge because it would disturb. If you would know that smoking is not good, then you would have to quit smoking. And if your tamasic, lazy, demonic, dark spirit is that you want to keep smoking, then you will refuse to acknowledge that smoking is bad. 
because that would force you to change. And Jesus says, what I am bringing to you is forcing you to change. And because of this, you say, uh, what? What did he say? Uh, we didn't understand. It's nonsense. It's very easy. He said, you look at the wind and at the clouds and you know. Look at me and look at what's happening right now and you know. There is no other explanation here. So he says, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Which is the tragedy of humanity. Now try to think what people would do if they would judge for themselves what is the story with the coronavirus. Try to think, you know, to realize that even if some revolutionary people have a different opinion, 90 something percent of the world population, they are sitting there like sheep and they are not thinking for themselves. They say, yeah, but the World Health Organization said this and that. You're not thinking for yourself. You're not thinking for yourself. And uh, therefore, Jesus says, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? That is the condition of the liberated human being. Buddha is thinking for himself. Buddha is judging for himself what is right. That is why he has the courage to stand alone. As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Here, Jesus is using a very twisted metaphor, a parable which is very twisted, because he says you are going to a deadline. You are going to the magistrate, and the magistrate will pass judgment as the judge. And the judge says, guilty or not guilty? That's exactly like the last judgment, the judgment day. Jesus is saying you are coming close to a deadline. You are coming close to a judgment day. You are coming close to the end of Kali Yuga. And you don't want that end of Kali Yuga to, keep, to catch you with imperfections. He says, you are going with your adversary. Try to be reconciled with him on the way. Like before you get to the magistrate, you say, you know what? I still owe you this and that. Before we go there, I would like to solve this personally with you. No? I would like to compensate for everything. No? So that you don't hold it against me when we will be in front of the judge. Because when you are not in front of the judge, there is the law of karma. And the law of karma will act now, or in 500 years, or in 5,000 years. And then you can just say, ah, maybe it will never come. Of course, that's a ridiculous thing, because the karma always comes back. But because it's coming back in 5,000 years, 5,000 years can be 10 lifetimes. 10 lifetimes, where were you? You who are watching this, where were you 10 lifetimes ago? What do you remember from 10 lifetimes ago? 
<laughs> and if now you are getting some karma left from that time, you will not even remember. It's like some old, old issue that your subconscious mind has kind of covered it with countless layers of other things which have happened and other more urgent things. That's, that's what we are talking about. Jesus simply says there is a deadline. And when that deadline is coming, you want to be as clean as possible. It's a perfectionistic thing. Because you are going to say, no, that your adversary will drag you to the judge and the, drag, the judge will hand you to the officer and the officer will throw you into prison. And then you will not graduate in June. Then they will tell you, well, now we discovered you were about to graduate. Most of your colleagues are graduating. But we discovered that you're owing some money to this guy soon. It's okay. You'll catch it next year. Next year can mean in terms of yugas in the next Kali Yuga. If you are not deserving to be born in Satya Yuga or some other thing like this, then what will you do? Just because you didn't make effort to catch it now, then the postponement can be very, very big. And Jesus is this kind of, that's why he kept on saying, be prepared. You don't know when the master is coming. Like a thief is coming unexpectedly at night. You have to be prepared. And therefore he's asking you to be vigilant and wakeful and 110% not to postpone. Not to be tamasic and lazy and spiritually indifferent. And they say, hey, yeah, you know, but you know, no. He's asking you to, he says you still have a problem with you, somebody, because that little pebble in your shoe can destroy the whole trip. You say, hey, yeah, I'm having small imperfections here and there. What would it matter? It would matter. Jesus says it can matter. That's why you have to be almost perfectionistic about this thing. He says, now I'm here, now clearly some deadline is coming. Of course, we know that more deadlines are coming, because Kali Yuga is not finished. And thus, he simply says, uh, deadlines are coming. Why don't you see the signs? The sign is, be prepared, be ready. I am here to give you the good tidings. But the good tidings is making you responsible. It's like go 110%. No, and he says, he calls people hypocrites. You are hypocrites because you refuse to see it. Because if you see it, you have to get motivated. You have to stop being lazy. And then he says, stop, this is hypocrisy. Solve the problems. If you still have imperfections like this debt to somebody, Solve it, solve it, solve it, because the judgment day can come now. No, don't, don't postpone, don't procrastinate. And we are moving to the paragraph, chapter number 13, where the story continues. Now, there were some present at that time 
who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So it's about a story that in that time the Romans were punishing rebellions and other things and the Romans were not afraid to be hard-handed in their governance and the Jews were very defiant and very manipuristic and from this there came a lot of conflict which came to the point where the Romans eventually they decided to raise Jerusalem from the map to raise the temple you know just because you know the Romans had been ruling the Gauls in France the others and others in Egypt and you know and they did not raise them to the ground because those people were opposing less Manipura. But the Jews were having this provocative Manipura, this irritating Manipura, and it didn't go well with the Manipura of the Roman Empire, and therefore you can uh, imagine that there was always turmoil. So the people were trying always to bring to Jesus the case that, look, uh, the Romans did kill some people and they were martyrs like the Romans. The Romans were killing and killing. Seventy years before the birth of Jesus, they had the rebellion of Spartacus, the gladiator rebellion. In the gladiator rebellion, the Romans, when they defeated the gladiators, they crucified thousands and thousands of them, not one person like with Jesus. They crucified thousands of them along Via Appia. The whole Via Appia in Rome, from Rome going uh, in whatever direction it was going, I don't know geographically where Via Appia was placed relative to Rome, if it was north, east, west or south. Uh, they simply lined Villa Ap Via Appia with thousands of crosses of gladiators. No, like the Roman Empire had absolutely no scruples that when you surrendered, they would bring you aqueducts and schools and whatever they thought civilization consisted of, material civilization mostly, and when you were pissing them off, they could be extremely hard. And the Jews were, of course, resenting that, and they told to Jesus, what about what, Jesus, what about this thing? with the Romans killing our brothers, and so on. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans, the people who were killed, let's say patriots, revolutionaries, whatever they were, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Because this is how the world looks upon them. Some people died in a tsunami, some people died in an airplane crash, some people died killed by the Romans, and then people say, they must have had a worse karma than me and my family. Me and my family, we didn't have the karma to die so quickly, faster, in this way. People are thinking very superficially, while, for example, for some people to die quickly, can mean that they are not going to see some misery which is going to come after. So death can be actually a release and a blessing. Thus, Jesus is telling them, what are you, why are you trying to think about the laws of God just from some social issues like this, that some people 
pissed off the Roman Empire and they got killed. No? Like, and for, you are trying to make a philosophy out of this. He says, do you think that they were worse sinners? Like they had a bigger, worse karma because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Just the fact that these people's karma came before yours, it doesn't mean that you are okay. People are trying always to create a fake sense of relativity. Oh, okay. They died, they did, but I was protected. You know, when the communism came in Eastern Europe, some people were killed in the first year of communism, and some people survived through it, and they witnessed to see the end of the communism. Which ones of them had the worst karma out of them? That's always a good question. So, Jesus says, what, just because some people had earlier trouble, do you think that that makes you okay? doesn't make you okay. He says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. He says, this civilization, this culture has a radical flaw in it. And the problem is not that you are dying earlier or later, and some people died in the 2005 or 6 tsunami, and I didn't die in that tsunami, so I am the lucky one, or I am the one who has a better karma. That's such a trap. It's such a superficial way of interpreting karma and the will of God. Jesus says, unless you repent, which means change your life, the repentance thing was what John the Baptist was saying. John the Baptist had this mantra, repent, repent, make straight the ways of God. So it's like, Jesus says you have to do what John the Baptist said. You have to improve your lives. That's what God wants from you. You have to get out of this misery of Svadhisthana, of Manipura, of the lower chakras, of the dirty lower chakras, of negative resonance in the lower chakras, because the lower chakras can have some good resonance as well. They have some constructive and pleasant aspects. But when we look at all these inferno, at all this hell which was described, which the world describes, and which the great sages have seen, like Buddha has seen it, and so many others, no, then this you are not free from it just because some karma is happening to other people faster or slower. So, and Jesus is exactly this thing, you know, he says, if you are being postponed, then you might think you are okay. But the basic problem, the fundamental problem, still remains. You have to repent, you have to change your life. That's why, because you live in a rotten world, and you are condoning this rotten world, you are putting up with this rotten world, and thus... He says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. There was an episode where a building apparently fell on some people and they died. It happens all the time in countries where constructors are doing a lousy job. You hear now and then 
that a building fell apart in India, in Turkey, in places like this, and that a lot of people died, crashed under the rubble, under the remains of that building, and that it was a mistake in the construction, and blah, 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 and all that. So there was such a case in Israel, simply bad engineering, probably, and he said the 18 people died in that tower. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Like, in a place in Jerusalem, a tower fell and 18 people died. And people said, Aha! It is the punishment of God which comes on those. Jesus says, Do you think that those were more guilty just because their karma happened earlier? But you don't know what's coming to you. You don't know in what a trouble you are. And just because it didn't happen yet, it doesn't mean you are saved or you are in a good place. So he says, do you think that just because those people died in there, they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And he said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus says that is a fundamental problem of this Kali Yuga. There is a fundamental problem of this world, that we live in a world which is deeply corrupt, and we just put up with it, and then we say, yeah, but you see, I did not die in that tower accident. You know, probably if Jesus would have lived today, he would have mentioned the Twin Towers and say, do you think that the people who died in the Twin Tower collapse, they were more sinful? That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't say anything, except the fact that it was their karma which came to fruition in that day. But the rabbit hole is much deeper than that. And he says, from the standpoint of God, the fact that people's karma is coming and going, people are dying anyway. If people died in March of coronavirus, or people died in October because their cancer reached to the final stage, what difference does it make in the end? What difference does it make? Maybe the one who died of coronavirus suffered less because the last four months of his life would have been hell on earth. No? So it's like, what do we know about it? Can we judge these things? We are always judging things from appearances, karmic appearances and what we see. But he says, in the eyes of God, it can be different. And you have to repent or else you will perish. Please understand, what does it mean to perish? To perish does not mean to be destroyed forever. Judaism, and especially Christianity, they give us this white lie, <coughs> they give us this scare that there may be some eternal damnation or some eternal blessing. The Tibetan metaphysics, the Buddhist and Hindu metaphysics, says it very clearly. In the world of Prakriti, in the world of manifestation, nothing is eternal. If you go to hell, you cannot go to hell forever. There is nothing which is forever except God. If you would be in hell forever, that means you would be infinite, 
like God, like the cosmic consciousness. Because there would be something unlimited to it. But there isn't. There cannot be. Only God is forever. And therefore, the karmic punishments can never be forever. But Jesus says, if you blow your finger, it will hurt for a long time and it's going to be like shit and you wish it was not happening. So don't tell me now, yeah, but philosophically, Jesus, uh, to perish does not mean to perish forever. It's just like we miss this opportunity and then we might get another opportunity in the next Kali Yuga. And Jesus says, you are an idiot. Because losing this opportunity is very bad. It's bad enough. You are just getting drunk with high metaphysical things like there will be another there will be another chance but it will hurt like the finger blown with a hammer there will be a lot of tribulation until you come to that deadline and why 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 not put a little effort and try at least to say i have done what i could i have tried i've put my shoulder into it i have tried no, at least I have done at least my best at this time. So, he says, you, the problem with God is not that you perish now and then or you died with this tower or that the Romans executed some Galileans or something. You are just making fuss about small karmic issues. But the issue for God is if you perish in the meaning that you are not graduating you are not going to the next level of your evolution and you'll have to be pushed back to repeat the same cycle of evolution again and again and maybe again and again. That, that's the bummer. And he is telling them a parable to explain this, which is a very terrible parable. It's a very scary parable. Because he says, a man had a fig tree. The man is God and the fig tree is you and I. We are the fig trees. Yeah, We are supposed to produce figs. It's a very popular tree in the Middle East and a lot of people were deriving their livelihood from fig trees. Planted in the vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard that man can be a deva a deity, an angel, an archangel. There are forces between God and the world. God was not taking care of the vineyard. The planet is the vineyard. Your country is the vineyard. A certain region of the world is the vineyard. And there is somebody in Shambhala or in the angelic entities or in the worlds of the devas which takes care. So God is not dealing with you. God is dealing with someone who is dealing with the direct administration of the things. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? See what a utilitarian attitude. Like God is having a plan. You are in the classroom. The planet Earth is the school, the classroom. You are in the classroom. And if you don't perform, you are breathing the oxygen of somebody else who could have performed instead of you. 
Therefore, there is a sort of a terrible efficiency. No, like you are not here to waste time. God has created this planet Earth, maybe sometimes wonderful, maybe sometimes pathetic and painful. God has created this planet for you to evolve. And if you do not, God simply thinks about taking you out. That means you disappear? No. But it means you go in a more marginal place. You, you shouldn't be in this class. Like we made a class in which there is a speciality of intensive English language. And you are in the intensive English class. And then the teacher, God, is coming and saying, for three years I have waited for you to produce one correct sentence in English. And you are not performing. So why don't you just bugger off and leave the space in this class for somebody who will perform? Like the spiritual evolution contains some expectations. God has a plan. God knows that if He produces life, living matter, human beings on earth, He knows from infinite knowledge and from experience that this living matter can evolve at a certain rate of speed. Yogananda says, an average human being can reach enlightenment in one million years. That means from half to top, because the average human being is not at the bottom, is at the half, and from half to the top in one million years, which means all of it in two million years probably. Yeah? No, like trying to uh, extrapolate speculatively. No? And therefore God knows from the moment when you turn from baboon into human being until the moment when you reach Buddhahood, we expect two million years. That's the three days. And if in those two million years you did not perform, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And therefore I have to put you in a handicapped school. I have to put you in a school for handicapped children because it's like your soul is unusually lazy. You're going to say, what fault did the tree have? But can you understand the gardener? The gardener says, maybe this tree has a poor DNA. Maybe this tree is coming from a very poor seed that had very poor life force in it. I put this tree here, three years have passed, it didn't give me a single fig. Then why am I keeping it? I could take it out and put another one. I could put a, a date palm tree. Something else. I could put something else instead of this tree. My garden is limited. The planet Earth is limited. We are complaining that we are burning the oxygen and that we are generating carbon dioxide and we are polluting it. Therefore, the Earth is Having a, it's a classroom which is full. Nowadays, the cynical people who do think tanks and these kinds of things, they say we are too full. The classroom is too full. There should be one billion people on planet Earth. And we are 7.7. No? So, seven billion people should die tomorrow, if possible. And thus, um, here... You can understand that. You can say, eh, this soul was going too slowly. Why should God get angry? 
God doesn't get angry. God simply gets, I have a plan. And if you are performing lower, then go to another class. If a child proves to have an IQ less than 70 and qualifies as a moron or a imbecile, then that child in most of the Western countries it's put in a class for children with special needs because that child needs to be explained mathematics and other things with uh, slideshows, with colors, with audiovisual, in a more colorful way, in a slower way, because unfortunately that kid has a limited power of understanding and needs to be, uh, you know, supported along the path. And in the same way, here simply Jesus says, For three years now, the Master God says, I've been come counting to look for fruit on this fig. So if you are the fig tree, what's the fruit? The fruit is understanding, knowledge, love, compassion, goodness, generosity, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. The, the fig The fruit on you, on the fig tree that you are, is evolution. Like God comes and says, I want to see that you are a bodhisattva. I'm coming to see the flower of bodhisattva ready to sprout on you, in your crown chakra. You know? And if it's not there, then he simply says, cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Cut it down doesn't mean destroy forever. God does not want to destroy your soul. Because your soul is divine nature. It cannot be destroyed. But remember, if you blow your finger, even if you have a divine soul, you still suffer. And therefore, even if you are endowed with a divine soul, if that divine soul is put in unpleasant circumstances, things are not fun at all. And thus you should not minimize or underestimate this. Sir, the man replied. See, the man replied. The angel. Remember, the angel of God wanted to go to Sodom and destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, the prophet, he bargained with God. He said, what if there are 50 righteous people in those cities? They don't deserve to die with the rest. And then he bargained down to five. You probably remember that episode. And here, the man replied, the man can be the king of the world from Shambhala, who is fighting for your soul. He's fighting with God, not fighting, but he is trying to express his form of compassion. Maybe this is an angel, an archangel. The archangel Michael, God says, cut that tree down. And the archangel Michael says, Sir, I can see it coming. It's just a matter of a little time. Can I convince you to be compassionate, to be patient a little bit more? So, sir, the man replied, the gardener, leave it alone for one more year and I will dig around it and fertilize it. Like we're going to accelerate its evolution. We see it's a handicapped soul and we are going to push a little bit on it. Some of you may be souls which are being fertilized and dug around. Remember that it's for the possibility that you dumped from the previous Kali Yuga 
and now you are on your second, third, fifth, tenth run. And the big cosmic master is patient with you, although you should be cut. And somebody up there is arguing in your favor. And he says, uh, wait, leave it alone for one more year and dig it around and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And then God answers, which shows there is compassion, there is tolerance, there is forgiveness, but not absurdly. He says, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Like there is still a deadline. You cannot stretch the tolerance and forgiveness of God forever because you are part of a program. You are part of a program of evolution. So Jesus, when he puts all this fire, he says, I came to bring fire in the world. Why can't you see the signs? I am the Messiah right now in front of you. Move. Cancel all your debts with all your debtors. Apologize to everybody. You want to reach to the judgment day and be clean and graduate. Come on. Uh, a deadline is coming. I, Jesus, am here. Pay attention. Be prepared. There is a deadline. The process of evolution has some deadlines. And if you miss one of them, it's not so pleasant. It's not so pleasant. It's not in the, ah, if I don't do it in this life, I will do it in the next life. It's not, it's not entirely true. To tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's not the whole truth. The whole truth is that when you postpone it, there may be unpleasant consequences. There will be unpleasant. Okay, God says if you didn't deliver fruits in three years, then we'll leave you one more year. Okay, Michael has convinced me to give you one more year. There is tolerance, there is forgiveness, there is, but not absurdly. Not forever. You are dealing with the cosmic intelligence. You are dealing with the cosmic consciousness, which is not stupid, not loose, not unconscious, but which is more intelligent and more present than any reality that you can imagine in your Svadhisthana. And thus, here Jesus is showing us the sharp way, because people try to wind him up. You know, people died anyway. The Romans killed them. There was a tower which fell, and those were the sinners, and we are okay. Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about, just because some people had a violent karma to die under the rubble of some tower. It, you will also die, he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And he doesn't mean perish physically. He means perish spiritually. It means like to undergo a spiritual failure, which is much, much more problematic than the fact that we die anyway. Everybody dies around the age of 80. We are reborn and reborn to live and to die and to be reborn and to live again and to die. It's not such a big exception, like, wow, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. When I was born, 
the population of the earth was half of what it is today and they said that two people were being born every second. But they forgot to tell me that two people were dying every second as well. Today, it's like four people are being born every second and four people die every second because we have doubled up in numbers. And people complain about the corona. Like, do you think corona is going to make any significant difference? But look at the year where there was SARS, MERS, bird flu, swine flu, and the other things. There were, in the last 20 years, there were four or five epidemics in which some viruses were a bit more serious than this corona, COVID-19. There were others which were a bit more deadly than this. And when you sum up the numbers of deaths in each country for that year, you don't find any major difference. Like in this country, 300,000 people died in 2010, and 300,000 people died in 2011, although 2011 was with MERS, and 2010 was without any major epidemic. So the epidemic didn't make any final difference. Those people had to die in that year, and we owe death. We die anyway. We die four people per second right now while we are talking. It's a hecatomb. People are dying all the time, and you cannot stop it. With all the hysteria and with all the lockdowns, you cannot stop it. If in England 300,000 people have died in 2019, then 300,000 people will die in 2020. But why does no journalist write that, or no medical authority? Because people live in a Svadistanistic illusion that maybe they can cheat death. That's what we say in the initiation of Kali. Kali, the power of time, is frightening, and people think they can cheat death and time. And Kali is just laughing. <laughs> what an imbecility, you know? You cannot stop that. That is the law of nature. Humanity has never been able to stop death as a principle. So the whole problem, Jesus says, is like you're trying to wind me up that people are dying anyway and sinners and this and that and an airplane crashed and the tsunami came and people died and those were the people that really had a problem and so on. And Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. You cannot stop death, and the problem is that together with death, there comes the accounting day, there comes the judgment day, and then your fate in the afterlife is decided, and your future next incarnation is also decided, and therefore, this is what matters. It matters how you die, not that you die. So he says, when you die, don't let your adversary take you to the judge and the judge sends you to prison, which means a bad death and a bad reincarnation in the future. Make a clean slate so that you can have salvation. 
So Jesus is telling them, the problem is not the problem of death and karma. The problem is the problem of salvation of the soul. This is the metaphysical truth. <coughs> and he gives this frightening example, because if God is like this, like Jesus describes, then everybody can realize that there is no joke. Like you think you are intelligent and pragmatic, and you think God is some confused idiot who can be fooled. He's coming and saying, for three years I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. What if you are that fig tree? No, this cannot be. And okay, compassionate forces like Buddha, the Buddhas of the past, present and future, and Shambhala, and the angels, your own guardian angel, can say, give him one more year. No? And the divine consciousness will say, one more year, I can. But not absurdly and forever to upset the plan of evolution. There is a plan of evolution for each individual soul, and there is a plan of evolution for the planet. And Jesus is telling them clearly, I am part of this plan of evolution of God. I came here because now it's a deadline. Now it's a special moment. And now we're going to separate the ones which go up from the ones which go down. And somebody will say, can't you give them one more year? Yes. Okay. Jesus, God, can give them even one more year. But that does not change the fact that there will be a deadline. There still will be a deadline. This emergency of the deadline, this is what Jesus is trying to impress constantly on people, that evolution is a very serious task of the human being, and you should not take it lightly. Try to remember when Raymond Moody checked on people who had near-death experience, what were the two things which they reported that the only things which accounted with a guardian angel or with God or whatever it was? There were just two things. Love, unconditional love, and enrichment of knowledge. Bhakti and jnana. Grow in knowledge, grow in love. Grow on the yin and the yang, Grow on the sun and the moon, grow on the wings of your soul, and then that is what stays with you, that's what goes with you. So, Jesus is giving actually a very stern and strong parable here, which shows a divine mechanism. It shows that there are expectations about you. The universe and God expects you to perform within certain parameters. That's why you can see that they said, why didn't Peter and Paul, and the, why didn't they give up? They couldn't give up because they were expected and they knew. Why didn't Buddha just retire and all that? They couldn't. The last temptation of Christ, some imbecilic, vadistanistic filmmaker, 
made something where Jesus, instead of being crucified, he marries Mary Magdalene, he gets children, and he lives the life of a bum. Absurd. Jesus cannot stop. When Peter tries to stop him from going to Jerusalem, Jesus tells him, the devil is talking through you. No, like Jesus, although he is afraid of being crucified, as he demonstrated it, nevertheless, he had to do it. There was no way of going back. Of course, Jesus was expected to do something formidable, something gigantic, something unthinkable for a little baboon from Kali Yuga. But okay, Jesus is Jesus. Exactly as Jesus was, each and every human being has some standards to fill up. The fig tree must produce fruit. God is waiting for those figs, not because he needs them, but because they mean that the process of your growth has been fulfilled. Think about this. Let us conclude for tonight. This was an important lesson in which you think about your spiritual evolution and what is your relationship with the universe and with God in this process. Don't interpret superficially. Jesus says people can see the signs of weather and they cannot understand the spiritual signs. Think. The spiritual signs are quite clear. And then he gives all this series of arguments which shows that it's all about fulfilling the priorities of one's evolution. Let us stop for tonight. Thank you all for joining. I hope this technical channel of internet is working for you and you are getting something out of it. We will continue uh, this series of online. Even when the lockdown is over, we will still try to keep it alive with the experience which we acquired during these weeks. Thank you all and enough for tonight.